Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You are Locked On Magic, your daily Orlando magic podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. It is September 15th, 2016, and you are indeed Locked On Magic, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Philip Rossman-Reich. I'm the site expert and editor over at OrlandoMagicDaily.com, and we're continuing our jam-packed week of podcasts. I don't have much time to spend, but up on today's episode, we'll have our crossover episode with Locked On Fantasy Basketball's Josh Lloyd. You'll get your complete fantasy basketball fix on the Orlando Magic, but now is a good time to remind you to check out some of the great podcasts on the Locked On Podcast Network. Of course, Josh Lloyd does a fantastic job on Locked On Fantasy Basketball. You can also check out our previous guests from this week on uh, for Locked On Podcast Crossover Week. Uh, Fred Katz of Locked On Thunder does a great job covering the Thunder, as do Wes Goldberg and David Ramil with Locked On Heat. Be sure to check out all those podcasts. They're available on iTunes and Audio Boom. And don't forget to check out Locked On Magic. You probably know this already, so tell your friends to check out Locked On Magic on Audio Boom, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Be sure to give us the highest rating you can give us and leave your comment there as well. Today's show, as I said, is jam-packed. We'll have my appearance on the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Again, be sure to check them out for the other teams as they continue their season preview uh, series, but I joined to uh, discuss the Magic and their fantasy prospects. We'll get to that in just a bit, but first we do want to continue our player outlook series as the season comes hurtling closer and closer to us. You probably saw it online, um, a few brief items, but you probably saw it on the Magic social media pages as well as uh, perhaps uh, on Snapchat with Fox Sports Florida, but the players are in town. They're at the Amway Center, and they're wearing Magic uniforms. Yes, the season is right in front of us. They're uh, beginning to, to film the in-arena videos, the the promotional videos that you'll see on Fox Sports Florida for broadcasts. Those are getting done right now before uh, we get into the serious business of training camp and actually preparing for the season. Uh, in addition to that, Fox Sports Florida also announced that all 82 games of the Orlando Magic's regular season will be broadcast on Fox Sports Florida and the Fox Sports Go app. So if you live... In North or cent- North and Central Florida, so pretty much, I don't know where the dividing line is actually, but it's it's probably somewhere north of Lake Okeechobee, um, you know, some some somewhere somewhere down a little bit further south, but North and Central Florida, as defined by by Fox Sports Florida, um, you will get all 82 Magic games on your TV with Fox Sports Florida, or you can get it on the Fox Sports Go app. So let's say you're a fan in Detroit. Uh, you can probably, I, I believe, maybe, maybe I'm wrong on this, but you should be able to access uh, Fox Sports Florida from the Fox Sports Go app. You can, if you live in the North and Central Florida area, at the very least, you'll be able to watch the Magic anywhere you go on the app. I've actually used it before uh, when I've been traveling to watch the Magic. It is fantastic. I cannot uh, stress how awesome that app is. But like I said, today we're going to continue our player uh, outlook series with a look at probably one of the more controversial players uh, that the Magic acquired this year. You take a look at what 
the Magic did in the offseason, and we talked about one of the big moves on yesterday's podcast with Fred Katz of Locked on Thunder. Again, highly recommend you you give that podcast a listen to as well uh, when we discussed the Serge Ibaka-Victor Oladipo trade. But the biggest and, and most puzzling move the Magic made was signing Bismack Biombo to a four-year, $72 million contract. This was as transformative and important a signing as the acquisition of Serge Ibaka. Now, the Magic had all this cap room, and they were going to spend it. So, they spent it on a, a, a player who's been a career backup center, on a position that they seem to already have filled with Nikola Vucevic, and a need that they seem to have already filled with Serge Ibaka. So, why does Bismack Miyambo make sense? Like we've been saying all year, or all summer, the Magic are trying to build a defensive team. That is their main focus. That is their main goal. And... You know, a lot of their signings had to do with fitting that goal. There is no player that perhaps embodies and encapsulates that defensive mentality like Bismack Biombo. For all the things that he struggles with, he is very good on the defensive end. He's a great shot blocker. His defensive numbers and metrics are are through the roof, and there's no doubting what Bismack Biombo can do on the defensive side of the floor. Certainly the Magic probably got suckered in, and, and you know maybe that's a little harsh, but they certainly were enamored with what he did during the, the playoffs. It was a huge showing for him in the postseason. It was a sign of perhaps what he could do when he's given more minutes. Last year, Ibaka played about 22 minutes per game, averaged uh, 5.5 points per game, 8 rebounds per game, and 1.6 blocks per game. Pretty modest numbers, He's but he was coming off the bench. And with the Magic, he's likely going to start the season coming off the bench too, despite that high salary. Uh, he's, again, someone who's going to block and change a lot of shots. Uh, he's going to keep make sure that the Magic have a rim protector on the floor, whether it's Ibaka or Biombo at all times, and that should enable them to keep the same level of defensive consistency throughout the game. That is a huge bonus and a huge benefit. It's really a luxury for the Magic now that they have two centers. And yes, we've spent a lot of the summer trying to dissect, well, where does Nikola Vucevic fit? Can Nikola Vucevic stay on the floor? But the reality is, this just gives Frank Vogel another option. It gives him another guy that he can trust and, and throw in the game at any time. He could probably throw him in at the, at the five and move Vucevic to the four on occasion. Um, Biombo is that kind of a luxury. Uh, and... His per 36 numbers were fantastic. His his play his playoff numbers were even better la- uh, this season in the playoffs. He averaged uh, 6.2 points per game. Again, pretty modest, but 9.4 rebounds and 1.4 blocks per game. He's going to block shots. He's going to rebound the basketball, and that's all you need him to do. His offense is non-existent, and that's okay because his defense is that good. 3.1 defensive win shares last year, a 2.3 defensive box plus minus, and... You know, really, I mean, box plus minus is an interesting metric from basketballreference.com, but, you know, his offense has always taken away from his defense. Last year, he was minus .1 box plus minus because his offense was that bad, but it's progressively gotten better. Um, And so you wonder, could Biombo be at least a a zero on, on that front? And you know, if that's if that's if that's the case, then you also got to ask why why are you paying seventeen million dollars a year for a player like that? You know, Jan Mahimi would would have been much cheaper and, and done much of the same things. 
again, it's about bringing in elite skills and elite talent. And Biombo has an elite skill and an elite talent. He is a great shot blocker. He is a great defender. He can get out on the perimeter and guard guards for a short time. He's going to be able to hedge, and that makes the Magic's defense that much more dangerous. This is a move to bolster the defense. Quibble about the amount of money all you want, but it does seem like a good acquisition depending on the role Biombo expects to play. Now, if Biombo starts to agitate for starters minutes or or you know, there's there's some mix up there, then you know, maybe you gotta rethink the strategy in signing him. But the Magic have said they wanted a defensive identity. They've gone out this year and forced it on the team. And Biombo is a big part of that. Again, offensively non-existent. This is a move that this was a move that's all about defense. And so when we think about what we're going to expect from Bismack Biombo this year, it's got to be just on the defensive end. I don't expect him to start. I think Vucevic is going to hold that spot down. But I expect him to keep the second unit defense at such a high level that it's going to be very tough to score on the Magic and to run away from the Magic on most nights. And it's going to be uh, going to make the Magic that defensive team that we've said they've had to be to make the playoffs. Whether that's worth the money they're paying him, I think, is another value state judgment that, that we can't really make until we see what he, do, what he does. And certainly in this new NBA cap world, who knows what $17 million is really worth anyway. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. We'll obviously talk a little bit more about Bismack Biombo in this next segment. Like I said, it is Locked On Podcast Crossover Week, and I went on the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast to discuss the uh, Orlando Magic and their fantasy season, Uh, so I will play that segment in full, but I highly suggest, and I, I truly recommend this, if you are a fantasy basketball player, there is no better source for fantasy basketball than Josh Lloyd and the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Um, like me, he does kind of a, a solo act, um, so you'll, you know, during the season, he'll recap every single, pretty much every single game and give his thoughts on what's going on. I know he was particularly harsh on Scott Skiles last year, but who wasn't, uh, and uh, just gives great fantasy advice, great takes. Uh, on what's going on with a fantasy bent, with an eye on how it's going to help your fantasy team, whether it's a daily fantasy team or a season-long team, uh, this is this is his this is his time to shine as he's doing all the all the team previews and getting you set for your fantasy draft. So, be definitely give him a listen. Uh, I again highly suggest it. Uh, Locked on fantasy basketball. You can find it on audio, iTunes, Audio Boom, and Stitch. I believe on Stitcher. I'll I'll let Josh answer that one, but um, definitely on iTunes and Audio Boom. So from here. Uh, as as Josh would say, let's get to it. If you guys need updated pictures of my face, don't hesitate to Google Fournier. You are locked on Fantasy Basketball, your daily podcast on fantasy basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. To 
Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Fantrax and Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd, and as always, you can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. I do encourage you to follow me over there. And if you've got any questions about anything, the show, your basketball, fantasy basketball team, what I ate for dinner, whatever, ask me the questions over on Twitter. You can always do that. We're back with another of the team preview podcast. A reminder that Basketball Monster, the site, is open for uh, for memberships, so check that out. If you want to have the best chance at winning your league, not only do we have the projections, but all the tools, trade analyzers, team analyzers, draft trackers, which honestly is, is the best thing that you can possibly use during any sort of draft. Gives you ideas of what stats are available, the scarcity of those stats, how players value change, changes based on who's been draft ahead, drafted ahead of them. I do really encourage you to check that out. And that, uh, not just because I'm, I'm working there, but it is a fantastic service and I've been using it for well before I started working there as well. All right, the team preview podcast. Today we're going to be looking at, um, and I'm not not saying this to try and uh, insult the guest that's coming on, but one of the more confusing off seasons that we've ever seen, and one of the one of the teams with the weirdest sort of direction in their front office. And of course, I can only be speaking about the Orlando Magic. So to talk about the Orlando Magic, I'm joined by Philip Rossman Reich of Locked On Magic podcast and Orlando Magic Daily. Philip, what what? How are you? And what's going on with this team? Uh, I'm I'm doing good, and uh, I think you you pretty much described what's what's going on with the team. Uh, nobody really knows. Uh, it's just a lot of short-term thinking and uh, hoping that everything comes together to to create a direction rather than uh, have a plan for one. We're going to get right into this in this show because there is there is so much, and look, nobody knows the answer to these things because we haven't seen preseason yet. But we're going to speculate and give ideas of ways that it can go both in both directions with what they're doing. But it, it really is just a it must be a maddening situation as someone who covers the Magic and is a Magic fan. Yeah, I mean, in, in one respect, I, I kind of get get the idea of what they're doing and trying to just push the chips in and go for the playoffs. Uh, talking to fans. They're ready for the playoffs. They don't want to sit through another rebuild. They don't want to sit through another lottery. They're they're ready to kind of go for broke and, and try to swing for the fences. Whether they did that or not, uh, I think is has has really helped help me fill some content this summer. Yeah, well, that's that's one thing. You've definitely had no uh, no shortage <laughs> of things to uh, to discuss, to think about, to criticize, to praise. There's lots of different things. So we're going to get right into everything Orlando Magic. Let's get to it. To it. All right. The first question, and all these podcasts, everyone who's listening to these podcasts knows the knows the format, Philip. You, you might not, because at the start of each show, we've got three questions that we ask our, our guest that, that comes on, and they're the three questions that myself and Kyle and Matt over at Basketball Monster have asked each other about these teams. So I'm throwing them to you. The first one of them is, is a question I think is very high uh, in the minds of fantasy owners, and that is, does Frank Vogel's arrival spell the end for Nikola Vucevic? I don't think it does right off the bat. Certainly, Nikola Vucevic has to be sort of on high alert. Uh, the Magic paid $17 million a year to bring in Bismack Biombo, and that doesn't sound like how much you pay a backup center. Mm-hmm. But the Magic do have this weird mix of guys in their front court. Serge Ibaka and Nikola Vucevic can both step out and hit jumpers. Uh, Aaron, you know, they, they, there's some thought of that they could have Aaron Gordon play the de facto center with Vucevic as a, as a jump shooter and Ibaka as a jump shooter as well. So I don't think it necessarily spells the end for Nikola Vucevic, but whether Vucevic can stay on the floor or not is going to be completely dependent on whether he fits the defensive scheme that Frank Vogel has in mind. We've said in Orlando forever since we since we first laid eyes on Nikola Vucevic and really watched him play. He needs a shot-blocking four, and there's only two of those in the league, and one of them is Serge Ibaka. So the Magic have Serge Ibaka in the lineup now. 
And so there are no more excuses for Nikola Vucevic. He's got to be able to produce more on the defensive end. And if he does that, he'll be able to pretty much, I think, keep the statistics that he's had on the offensive end and stay on the floor because the team will be winning. If he can't do that, then he's going to be in some trouble. He's probably going to be coming off the bench, and it wouldn't surprise me to see him moved at the deadline in February. Yeah, he. Um, I think that he has to start the season out because that – yeah, if they went with Biombo as the five, Barker as the four, you know, Gordon, Fournier, and and Peyton, it is just an offensive. There's no offense. It, it's a it's a team that's probably going to have a defensive rating of about 95 and an offensive rating of about 75. There's just not nothing. No one can score. Now Vucevic isn't a, a a great shooter that's going out there and knocking down threes. Although he did hit a couple of threes, I believe in a in a Euro Basket qualifier the other day. I think he hit two of them. Yeah, he's he's supposedly he's supposedly taking some more threes at Euro Basket, and he said during the summer that that he's. Working on a three-point shot, Frank Vogel has even suggested that they may allow him to shoot three-pointers this year if they play him at the four, which doesn't make sense to me. But uh, any way they can spread the floor, they've got to try and do it because they just don't have a lot of shooting in that starting lineup. I think regardless of what happens in terms of how they try out a starting five, Vucevic has to lose a couple of minutes because, as you said, you don't pay that sort of big bucks to Bismack Biombo, which is something, again, I was not behind at all. I don't think Biombo is worth that as a player. But you don't pay that sort of money to get a guy to come and play 18 minutes a night. So Biombo is going to play 20-plus minutes, 22, 23, 24 minutes. They're not going to be able to really play together maybe for a couple of minutes, and that's going to mean that Vucevic is not going to play 31 minutes. He's going to be down in the in the twenty eight twenty nine range. Do you, do you think that's accurate? That's that sounds about right. I would probably I would probably still edge that that Vucevic will be somewhere around thirty. I haven't done the math, but I think I think you're right. It's going to be very tough to parcel out the minutes because you not only have to deal with uh, Vucevic Biombo, but I, I mean I'm someone who thinks Ibaka should probably be playing a center, and I want to see some lineups where Gordon and Ibaka are playing together, and so that takes both Vucevic and Biombo off the floor at the same time, and so it's it, how Frank Vogel susses out this front court is going to be one of the more interesting questions that we that we begin to see as the season starts. Well, that that situation you mentioned with Ibaka, I think is is a tremendous thing that they should they should definitely look to do. And you talked about you know shop locking fours before how there's not many in the league. I think that they had a guy that potentially could have turned into a player like that, not to the same level as Ibaka, but Aaron Gordon could have been that guy that turned into a a shop locking floor four. But now he's not going to be playing the four for big chunks of time during the game. Um, in terms of Vucevic for for fantasy, he was a real solid top thirty player. I, you're not going to have to take him there anymore, and you shouldn't take him there just because there is that significant risk associated with it because we don't know what Vogel's going to do. We know that he preaches defense. We know that uh, that he well, he's not enamored by Vucevic at this early stage because they wouldn't have gone out and, and signed Biombo, and he and Vogel would have come out because there's been plenty of questions that said, you know what, Nick is going to be our starter. He's still our guy. Biombo is insurance, whatever. But he hasn't said any of that sort of stuff. So you know that there's doubt in his mind. But that drops Vucevic down outside the top 50, maybe into the 60s or 70s. And last season, the few games that he played off the bench, Philip, he, he still, even in like 26 minutes, he still was able to go and get 20 points and grab 10 rebounds in those limited minutes, destroying second units. Yeah, he has, and and that's something that that we've thought about a little bit too, especially since uh, at that at that at that time the Magic had a guy like Dwayne Dedman who uh, was a defense first guy and really helped the ma- helped the Magic and Vucevic. You don't need to rely so much on his defense against second units; his offense becomes that much more valuable. I think uh, in the long run, on a good team, Vucevic is probably kind of your sixth man off the bench, like a he sort of like an Enos Cantor almost is is kind of the role that I would describe as kind of the ideal fit. 
for Nikola Vucevic uh, in the long run. So he's going to still be able to produce. I think he'll still put up offensive numbers. The, the question is, with this Magic team so focused on the playoffs, they I think they really believe defense is their ticket in. And so if you're not going to play, this team's going to be very weird fantasy-wise, I think, because if you're not going to play defense, which isn't something that fantasy stats really track, it's going to be harder and harder to find to find minutes and find a justification to, to play them with the Magic kind of in this short-term frame of mind of we've got to make the playoffs in 2017. Vucevic isn't a, he's not a great defender, but he's not a terrible defender. He's not an Ennis Cantor level of, of defender, but even Cantor's, no, that bad. Even Cantor's a little bit... Um, yeah, he, the the badness of his defense is a little bit overstated. But Vucevic can block some shots. He actually got, saw his defense, I think, improve significantly. And that's probably one of the... If I had to list things that Scott Skiles did positively last year, that would probably be the one and only thing, is that Vucevic's defense actually improved and his shot-blocking ability improved last season. And he had some games... You know, I can't remember if it was early or late where he'd block like five shots in a row and then he blocked like four the next game. And he had these big bushels of blocks in the plenty of games last season. So that was an encouraging sign. Yeah, and, and his defense has gotten better. You know, I, we, I, I kind of, it feels like I'm always trashing Vucevic for his defense, but his defense has progressively gotten better. I think two years ago, he gave up 54% shooting at the rim. Last year, it was down to 52, but 52 is still not a good number. And I think where a lot of the problems are, you know, we're not necessarily taught, he's, he's improved his ability to block shots, and that certainly helps fantasy owners. But when you're looking at this team where he's, continued to struggle is on pick and rolls he's you know he's not someone that's going to stop people from getting into the paint and ultimately when you're evaluating this magic team they're focused purely on defense uh, and so if he can't shore those areas up and, and prove that he can at least be a, a an even defender um then then he's he's not he's going to see his minutes decrease or, or have his minutes drop in some way or, or who he plays against change um, you know, maybe coming off the bench is the best thing for him statistics-wise where you keep his offensive production and you don't worry so much about his defense. Uh, and so, you know, Vucevic is just a very, very hard guy to figure out, even though he has gradually improved in the last four years. You just wonder when when is he going to hit that peak and is that peak enough for a team to win with? In uh, ESPN's real plus minus statistic, defensive real plus minus statistic last year, there were 70 centers in that list. He came in at 45th. So he's not... Now, he's not in the top half, but he's better than guys. He came in better rated than Jonas Valanciunas, Boban Majanovic. He was rated higher than Greg Monroe, um, Carl Anthony Towns. Well, everyone's, so, higher. everyone's rated higher than Greg Monroe. Yeah, except, for, except for Jilly Okafor. Carl uh, Anthony Towns <laughs> is another one who was below him. Tim Mozgov, Miles um, Plumley, Willie Cauley-Stein. And the last two were, were Okafor and, and Cantor. So he, he definitely is not great, but he's still you know, ahead of some guys that you might not expect him to necessarily be ahead of. Bebe Noguera was there as well, but still in the middle of the pack, which is okay. And as I mentioned, that in a bench roll, he can still put up numbers. So he's I've drafted him in a draft the other day, I think at about pick 60 or so, because I'm going to get really good percentages. I'm going to get solid scoring and rebounding. And if he does go to... Look, he might go and play 22 minutes and just completely stuff everything up that, I've, that I think he's going to do. I, I can't see that this team has any other offensive options that they're going to allow him to do that because yeah they might stop teams but they just won't be able to put it in the hoop whatsoever and they'll be trying so hard on offense that it might actually impact their defensive performance as well yeah and i'm sure we'll get it i mean and i think that's kind of the theme of this whole magic team i'm sure we'll get to it in some of these other questions that that, that you've got coming up in the show um the whole theme of this magic team is we just don't know how the pieces are going to fit together i mean vucevic could come out ibaka could solve all his defensive problems and he's you know, back up to averaging, you know, because there's no other real offensive options. He's averaging 23, 24, 25 points per game. 
you know, maybe his re- maybe his rebounding goes down again. He's getting like eight, nine rebounds per game, and he's able to, to block shots because he has the comfort and the ability to recover uh, that he hasn't had before because he knows he's got help on the backside. Um, you know, maybe this un- maybe bringing in a guy like Ibaka, you know, even if he plays with Biombo, maybe that unlocks him and frees him up defensively and makes him even better and makes him more valuable on the court. We we really just don't know. It could go. I mean, it could. I could see either thing happening with Vucevic. Yeah, that's definitely. And you'll see it when you look at our projections of basketball monster. I've got a little little bomb icon next to his name, which indicates it is a risky play because we just don't know which way it's going to go. Now, let's not focus too much more on Nick Vucevic because we've talked about him plenty. <laughs> let's talk about the next question, and that is Lord Alfred Payton. Do you think that he has a potential to turn into a top 15 point guard, or is he destined to become uh, a Michael Carter-Williamsy type player, a guy who can't shoot, distributes the ball, and does those sort of things, rebounds, you know, plays defense, but just can't get his offense up to that level that enables him to be an upper-tier point guard? You know, I, I think I think he can get get into that conversation at least. Um, I I don't think he'll fall as far back as as Michael Carter Williams. Uh, as much as Alfred Payton struggled last year, and he certainly struggled, his his scoring went up, his shooting went up, his assists stayed stayed pretty level. Um, he you know didn't he didn't have a significant reduction in turnovers, but overall Payton, um, for all the struggles that that we perceived that he had, played decently at least offensively at least numbers wise um certainly he didn't get along with the head coach with scott skiles and that's a a huge huge thing um and that's a big reason why i think his play dipped the way it did um especially in january and february i think it it really felt like he was still nursing a, a shin injury that he suffered in december for much of the season but at the end of the year, he started looking like the Alfred Payton that we saw his rookie year, and, and I think it's very possible um, that he continues his offensive improvement and gets back to kind of the level of play that he was at his off his rookie year, where he really looks like he can be a starting point guard in this league. Is he ever going to maybe? Is he ever going to crack the top ten and and be a guy? You know, be a guy like some of the like some of those All Star players? Probably not. But if he can get to you know where Rajon Rondo was when he was with the Celtics, or get, you know maybe not that that high, obviously because Rondo is just an assist fiend, but I mean, if he can get, he's, that's that's the player that's most com- comparable to him. But I think he can get kind of to a Rondo light level and and be in that conversation to be in the top half of point guards in the league. Obviously, the concern with Peyton is, from a fantasy point of view, is his free throw percentage, which is it, it's not a situation where you have to punt that category if you draft him, but you have to have an extraordinarily strong base to be able to absorb him. But in a situation where you've drafted, say, Drummond or Jordan, and you're in a punt free throw mode and it, generally, those sort of teams do lack assists. You're grabbing Peyton at the end of a draft, even if it's at pick 80 or pick 90, he's uh, he, he's, I think his rank is currently outside that range. But you grab him there because you're going to get a guy that's probably going to get you seven assists, potentially goes up to eight, and and can get you two steals a game, and can get you five rebounds, and he might hit you a half a three a game, and it might even go up because, as you said, his shooting improved, his field goal percentage went up. His ability to hit some shots actually improved, which is which is huge for him in terms of what he does um, offensively. He's ADP on Yahoo's 107, so you can get that guy late. We saw in his rookie season in that stretch in March, he was a top 50 player, even with that poor free throw percentage. So we know he can do it. And the Skiles factor is significant to me because if there's if there's one coach that's not named Byron Scott that can ruin a player's confidence, it's Scott Skiles. And he, he killed Peyton last season. The front office, obviously, it was basically... It's going to be Skiles or it's going to be Peyton, and it ends up Peyton. So the front office likes him. Vogel must be on board with that because that's obviously the reason that they they got rid of Skiles or Skiles resigned is because of Peyton, and, and that had to have been brought up with Vogel. So, look, we really believe in Alfred. Do you? 
and he's and you'd have to think that he'd have some sort of positive thought process on him, especially given the way that Peyton can play defensively. So he's a real chance to take a step forward, and don't be too uh, don't be too scared off by what the uh, Skiles induced malaise was from last season. I think that. Do you think that's all accurate? I think that's that's very accurate. I think I think just the interpersonal relationship between Peyton and Skiles wasn't good. I mean, I I, I know one of the, one of my writers was commenting to me when whenever we'd hear a Scott Skiles press conference, it just felt like he was doing all these kind of like subtle passive aggressive digs at his point guard, uh, and uh, it, it just it just wasn't a good relationship between point guard and coach. It was it was pretty not clear to see, but it was it was it, it was de- there were definitely signs that there was something something wrong even if it was going unsaid uh the only the only caution i might give on this front is his rookie year i think peyton was put on the ball a lot more and running a lot more pick and rolls and the jacques von james borrego offense skiles ran a much more motion offense and i think peyton really struggled with that because it took him off the ball it was a very much a, a pass around the perimeter offense we have no clue what kind of offense frank vogel is going to run it, it, it's got to be different than the one he had in indiana because they don't have paul george obviously uh, I don't know if we'll see pick and rolls a lot. I don't see. I don't know if we'll see Peyton on the ball as much. Uh, that's going to be a big determining factor on whether Peyton can be successful offensively. Because obviously, you move him off the ball, his shooting becomes an issue. Having said all that, you know Frank Vogel told the local media here in Orlando that he wants Peyton to shoot. He wants he wants to have the confidence in Peyton to shoot the ball. And if he doesn't shoot, he's going to take him out. And so it seems like the opportunity is going to be there for Peyton to to develop that shot or, or at least gain confidence in that shot or have someone be confident in a shot. And so maybe he knows something we don't and, and we'll, we'll find out in, in October. Last season after the All-Star break, he also averaged seven and a half assists a game. And that was in that time frame when Victor Oladipo was going crazy as well. So he only averaged 6.3 for the season, but that means it's because he had such a terrible start to the year. So he did start to really get it together towards the end. And there's, yeah, upside to go eight plus assists this season. Now you mentioned Paul George, so that that segues me nicely into the next question because the next question is about the uh, the player that Frank Vogel thinks can play the Paul George role, and that's Aaron Gordon. Is he a guy that you think can play well enough at the small forward minute to ensure that he's getting at least thirty minutes a night? Because we know the front court's crowded. Is he is he a thirty minute a night player? I think yes. What do you think? I don't know if the Magic really have a choice. Yeah, I mean, I think that's if you're right. not gonna if you're not gonna play him, if you're not gonna play him, you know, certainly he'll see an uptick in minutes. Um, but if you're not gonna play him somewhere near 30 minutes per game, who are you gonna play? Are you gonna throw Jeff Green in there? I mean, everyone knows what Jeff Green is, and it's not particularly good. Are you ready to make Mario Hazonia your small forward? Are you gonna do Hazonia Fournier lineups? Uh, especially early in the year, the Magic are banking a lot on Aaron Gordon. Uh, you know, I think. We, we've seen Gordon improve dramatically in a short amount of time and, and then get hurt, and that kind of stops everything. He's been healthy all summer, and so there I think there's a you know certainly some anticipation to see what Gordon can do, and Gordon has always said, I'm more comfortable at the small forward position, so this will be his chance to prove it. The Magic have invested a lot in Aaron Gordon. They, they, took, they took him with the fourth pick in the draft two years ago. They haven't really had a chance to unleash him yet. I think they really believe that he's their guy, um, essentially. I, I mean, as, as good as I think they think Evan Fournier is, as much as I think they're going to put more in, in Serge Ibaka and Nikola Vucevic, I think they're expecting some nights where Aaron Gordon is going to be their guy, and they're going to rely on him to to lead the team. I think they're, they're kind of banking on him having a big breakout year this year. And so uh, I certainly see him playing up near 30 minutes. It, it may take some time for him to ramp up to that level, uh, but – 
the way this roster is constructed, there's going to be a lot of depth, and, and I think their finishing lineups going to be different every night anyway. But I, I would I would suspect that they anticipate Gordon playing those heavy minutes and, and taking that big step up and taking a big leap in his career this season. I think Gordon's going to be a monster this season for a lot of those reasons that you mentioned. Now, he played 28 minutes a game after the All-Star break last season. He was sort of in and out of... of starting lineups and playing it, it was 28 minutes yeah, a game to gain trust. but it wasn't 28 minutes every game like he'd play big minutes and he'd play 22 minutes and it, it'd go up and down but yeah, I think that he's going to have a monster year. but what will happen to me is him playing the three more it might it might drop his rebounding rate a little bit and I think it will drop his block rate a little bit especially with if he's playing with the Barker at the four now if Gordon goes to the four and a Barker goes to the five and they play that lineup a lot which I think it's something they should really look into but it's hard with Vucevic and Biombo both there that means that he's a chance to be a, a triple one player, a guy that hits a three, gets a steal, gets a block a game, and potentially gives you one and a half blocks. Now, he can get a lot of steals as well. He's a guy that gets a lot of rebounds. I think his scoring is going to take a step up. And if Vogel truly believes that he can fill that Paul George role, I think you're going to see his passing develop as well. And if he, Vogel thinks he's got the ability to be that sort of passer, you know, three, four assists is not a crazy expectation for him. And he could be a, a guy that goes 15, 8, and 4, with a steal and, and a block and a half and a three, and that's that's top fifty sort of numbers. I'm not really, I'm not at all suggesting that he needs to be drafted in the top fifty, but I will be stunned if Aaron Gordon is not a top eighty player this season and probably a top seventy player. I think that there's a, a huge amount of upside. He's heading into his third year. This is when players take the step forward. You mentioned the injury last year. He didn't have a full training camp because he had a broken jaw. Um, he's had injury issues in his rookie season with the foot. He's, he's ready to go. Everything's ready to go. Everything's lining up for him. Yes, he's playing out of position, but I think they're going to find some minutes for him at the four. And I think that obviously Vogel and the organization's trust him. Well, they gave away Tobias Harris for nothing so they could give Gordon a bigger role. So the, the trust is there in him. And I'm really, really confident in him being able to do it. And that's big for me because I just, I did not like the Gordon pick when they made it. I was very down on him throughout his rookie season, but I'm, uh, I've completely turned around. Yeah, and, a lot, and certainly a lot of people questioned that pick, especially since, you know, essentially he was the big pick for the Magic in this rebuild. I mean, they they tanked two years, essentially, to get into that Andrew Wiggins-Jabari Parker draft, it, and it turned into a three-person draft with Joel Embiid, and they ended up with four. So, you know, not to put any more pressure on Aaron Gordon, but that, that pick was pretty central to what the Magic were trying to build in the last five years. Uh, I, I would definitely take take a look at his at his steal rate I wouldn't be surprised if his steals go up this year I think yep. he's going to be uh, kind of playing free safety on the perimeter like like how Vogel's used Paul George in the past uh, and so it wouldn't surprise me if that if that happens Gordon said you know I'm I'm ready to do everything for this team and and, and he certainly has the talent I think to like you said bump his assists up um, if the Magic are truly going to play fast which is something Skyle said they were going to do but they never really did um, if they're truly going to begin playing at a much faster pace, getting out in, in transition. Gordon's the kind of guy that not only finishes shots at the rim, but he's pretty good in open space and, and distributing the ball as well. And so it wouldn't surprise me if, if that leads to a general, you know, general increase in, in most in all of his statistics. I mean certainly more minutes will do that too. Oh, I'm I'm really excited to see what he's gonna do this season. There's a lot a lot to like about what he does from his game, and from a fantasy point of view, it's it's tremendous. Now, in the draft, the Magic had the 11th pick, Philip. That's gone. It was Demontis Sabonis. It's headed off to the Thunder. I already spoke with Fred Katz about that that pick. We don't need to dwell on that trade. Um, actually, let's talk about it just quickly. Okay. Let's talk about the trade. Did you approve of the trade? Were you disappointed with the trade? Well, I thought that it's this it's really funny how how i think about this trade um i i do think that trading victor oladipo was 
probably the right move because having watched him for the last three years, it didn't look like he was ready to take the next step as as a as a player. Um, he wasn't. We 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 went into last season. I'm sure I talked with you last yep. year on the preview podcast that we needed to see Victor Oladipo become an All Star and take that next step as a player. And this past season, he really didn't. He kind of had the same season he had the year before. He was pretty good. Started playing at an All Star level when the game stopped mattering, when when they were out of the playoff hunt, uh, and was just kind of generally inconsistent offensively. The Magic, I think, just kind of decided we're not waiting anymore. We can't afford to wait anymore. We you know we we like Evan Fournier. We can't spend money on everybody. Um, we need to begin taking some some risks and taking a step forward. And they went out and got a player who has an elite skill at something. Serge Ibaka is an elite rim protector and an elite defender. So they they traded someone who's a bit of an unknown for someone who's more of a, of a known commodity. Now, granted, Ibaka is also a free agent and and is going to cost a lot of money, but. They, I, I think they at least said, you know, we're, we're beginning to, to force an identity on this team that, that didn't quite work out under Scott Skiles, that, that should have, that they expected to work out, but, but it just didn't work out. Um, now, having seen the Bismack Biombo deal come through, like as when they got Ibaka, I was like, okay, they're either going to go Ibaka Vucevic, and that can work, or, you know, my dream was, I was telling everyone, oh, they're going Ibaka Gordon, Vucevic is going to get traded for something, and that's how they're going to build. I was really surprised by the Biombo signing for that reason, and I think that the Magic made a bad deal. If they, if Biombo was truly their top target all along, and they were going to get him in free agency, trading the, this team really needs a guy like Victor Oladipo who can create a little bit for himself off the dribble. They they really lack that offensive weapon right now. And as imperfect as Oladipo is, and as much as I don't think he's worth a max contract um, in free agency, which I'm sure he'll get because it's the NBA. Uh, if their goal is to make the playoffs immediately, uh, this team needed probably needs a guy like Victor Oladipo more than they need a guy like Serge Ibaka with Bismack Biombo in in the fold. Uh, so in in that sense, I'm I'm a little more lukewarm on the deal now than I was on draft night. On draft night, I, I liked it. I was like, okay, I see where they're going. This this makes some sense. I can I can justify this deal. It's a risk, but it's a it's a a good risk. Now it's like, well, now they're missing a piece, and and they probably. Honestly, I, I honestly think with this team, they really could use a guy like Tobias Harris more than a guy oh, like yeah. Victor Oladipo. Uh, and so I just feel like they're missing a piece, and they had they had it, and they let it go. Let's talk draft night now then. Okay. Um, <laughs> the, the only pick that they actually had was uh, in the second round. And it was uh, – well, actually, that's not true. They had two in the second round, but they, they, uh, they sold – no, they traded one to Portland. That was Jake Lehman. They traded one to Portland, yeah. Steven Zimmerman is the guy that they picked with the 40, 41st pick. Um, a big man out of UNLV. He's a he's a decent scorer. Um, needs a little bit of work on his uh, on his defense and his shoot. Like he's a guy that potentially can stretch, but hasn't been able to do that yet. He's not really gonna be able to see the court much at all this season, is he? No, he's he's a major work in progress. He's still kind of kind of skinny. Um, he's got to put on a lot of weight uh, to to bang around with other centers. Um, I I actually, you know hit. His defense certainly needs a little work, but he's got good recovery and good shot blocking instincts. So I think that that is something that that they like in him. Um, he's, he's definitely got some spring in his step, and offensively, he's he's pretty he's a lot more advanced than you think. But he's got to add some strength. He's going to get pushed around a lot in the NBA when when he does play. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see them send him to Erie for some stretches. Uh, they'll they'll probably want to keep him close and in their weight room so they can monitor some things. But I wouldn't expect a lot out of Stephen Zimmerman his rookie year and. Uh, They'll they'll kind of develop him and see where he's at uh, heading into his second year. 
The Magic have only got 14 guys under contract at the moment, and two of those are Zimmerman and Damian Rudesh. So they've got, you know, if they send him away to the D League, their depth is really, really thin at this point. Is that something that you think that they continue to do in the offseason? Or are they going to bring some other guys in? Because there's been no talk or movement of them bringing anyone in. Because they don't even, like I said, they don't even have the minimum guys or the maximum guys on the roster. They've only got 14 guys, and one of those is Rudez, who really is a terrible NBA mm-hmm. player. Well, the, the um, the, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. Today, the Magic announced that they, they signed six guys, including da, including Damo Rudesh. Uh, so, you know, they added uh, some guys off their summer league team. So, Kevin, you know, just to complete their training camp okay. roster, they, they, they added uh, Arinze Onwaku, Kevin Murphy, uh, Damo Rudesh. Uh, I'm trying to remember all the names. Uh, Cliff Alexander and uh, Nick Johnson from, from Arizona, or formerly oh, from Arizona. I like Nick Johnson. Uh, yeah. Um, I think a lot of those guys are destined for the D League. The Magic tend to like to carry only 14 players. They like keeping that extra roster spot open for whatever reason, whether it's to absorb an extra guy in a trade if they need to or um, just in just in case they want to call someone up from the D-League. Just in case uh, they want to trade a, uh, a young player on a really cheap contract for Sonny Leosova and Brandon Jennings again. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Some, yeah, exactly. Something something like that. Um, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they go into the go into the season with only 14 players. Uh, they, they've uh, they obviously added 19. They've got, they've got 19 now, I think, on their on their roster for training camp. Bunch of, a bunch of those guys are going to end up in Erie with the Bayhawks uh, and their D-League team. Uh, one or one or two of them may make their way up to the main roster if they need someone. Uh, that's what happened with with Keith Appling last year. Uh, but otherwise, you know, I think this the, the, this general roster that they have is the one that they're going to really be relying on heading into the season. Heading into the season, a, a roster of fourteen guys with probably you know ten eleven guys they feel really comfortable with. Um, let, let's talk Serge Ibaka now because he's obviously the, the big name on, on this team now. He had a really, really down season last year in Oklahoma City. There's been lots of talk about Ibaka potentially not being um, quite as young as what he makes out he is. Um, you know, those birth certificate issues that, that come with some players from with African heritage. What, he, and look, in, in his statistical profile, sort of leans to that, that he is a little bit older because he's seen his block rate. In 2011-12, he blocked 3.7 shots a game. Last year, he was at 1.9. Like We're talking you know, divided by two. He's basically blocking half the amount of shots. His field goal percentage from that year dropped from 54 down to 48. He's just not as active. He only grabbed 6.8 rebounds per game last season, which again is is basically a career low for him. His scoring was the lowest he's had in four seasons. He yeah he's shooting his threes, but he only hit them at thirty three percent last year and didn't even hit a three a game. Why do you have confidence that he will bounce back, or maybe you don't have confidence? Uh, I have confidence he'll bounce back because I think the Magic are going to put him closer to the basket. If if you start him with with Nikola Vucevic, you're you're going to be able to run some lineups. You're going to be able to run plays where Ibaka is setting up on the block and Vucevic is out on the perimeter. I don't think you could do that confidently with with Steven Adams and Steven Adams really emerged as the Thunder's primary uh primary kind of defensive center and especially and, and especially with the way the NBA is now as a four in in on both offense and defense you're you're going away from the basket and I think Vogel is is shown that he's committed to committed to and can run an offense with two bigs uh, two traditional bigs uh, successfully in today's NBA. So I think you're going to see Serge Ibaka get closer to the basket. A lot of his field goal percentage decrease, I think, is a, a, a fact of him just shooting jumpers a lot more. Um, he, he, was, he wasn't around the basket as much um, as, he, as he used to be. And so I think the Magic are going to use him that way. 
Um, his usage rate, surprisingly, has never been more than 20%. I think the ma- essentially so, essentially meaning if everyone gets equal amount of possessions, they should all use 20% of the possessions. Serge Ibaka has never been that. He's always been a below average guy. And so uh, on that front, at least, the, the Thunder just never really used him. I think the Magic are going to use him a lot more. I think they're going to run plays for him and give him more opportunity. And whether he wants to admit it or not, I think Ibaka was a little bit unhappy that he was not involved in the offense. And whether we you know, like to think of it or not, guys have egos. And I think that began to affect his defensive play some and affect some other things. The part that still concerns me about the way the Magic are built and why I think Ibaka is better as a five is, is for all those reasons. If you play Ibaka at the five, he's closer to the basket. He's able to, he's, you know, camped in the paint defensively. The thing that concerns me on the rebound front, on the block front, and even on the defensive front is so many more teams use stretch fours now. Ibaka is going to be out on the perimeter rather than in the paint, kind of helping helping on pick and rolls and helping protect Vucevic a little bit when he's involved in pick and rolls. Um, I'm, I, I'm concerned about, about him getting from the three point line to the paint to clean up mistakes uh, as much as he, as he used to during his heyday. Uh, but I'm, I'm confident though, that if you use Ibaka a little bit more offensively, whether that means he'll be as efficient or as effective, um, I think that will get him in a better frame of mind and, and we'll see his stats kind of begin to tick up a little bit. I don't think they'll ever get to the height that they were, you know, when they made their finals run, especially, but, we saw in the playoffs what an engaged Serge Ibaka can do on the defensive end. He can still be a really, really effective player. You, you mentioned uh, about his about his his shooting, about his field goal percentage dropping because he's heading out to the three point line. I, I think that that it, it might go up, but he's also because of the lack of offense on this team, he's going to still have to camp out there a little bit as well because that starting you know, projected starting five there's one guy who's a three-point shooter, and that's Fournier. Like yeah. Gordon's a below-average three-point shooter. Peyton is, is terrible. Vucevic, maybe, but he's not going to be an above-average three-point shooter. So he's going to have to spend that time out there anyway, shooting those threes, because he's the only one who's really shown anything in terms of being able to hit them at, a, at an above-average rate. And he was below-average last season, but he can still get to that. Now, in saying that, I think that he does take a step forward, but a lot of people are out there thinking that he's going to be looking back to be a, a top-20 fantasy guy again. I, I cannot see that happening. I think he maybe sneaks inside the top 50. I think his blocks go back up. His scoring definitely goes up with that usage thing that you mentioned earlier. He gets a little bit more usage. I think his threes maybe go up a bit. And the confidence in terms of the, the defensive stuff, we heard Dwight Howard admit it last season. He was not engaged defensively because he got ignored on offense. And he came out and said, look, you know, I I couldn't get myself motivated on defense because I was frozen out of everything offensively. Now, Ibaka's not purposely frozen out, but when Westbrook's using 30% of possessions and Durant's using 30% of possessions, he's just not touching the ball. And it has to seep into what he does. Now, some players are able to just not care about that but not every player is able to do that. And Ibaka looks like he fits into that sort of role, just given the way that as his offensive touches drop, his defensive performance drops as well. So it'll be interesting to see whether he can bounce back, whether it was just a, a, a case of situation and environment, or it is in fact that, that he's you know, three years older than he's listed and, and his you know, athletic decline has well and truly set in. We don't know that yet. I think if you're looking at him to be a top 20 guy, I reckon you'll be disappointed. But if you think he's going to be a guy that's around 75 like last season, I don't think that'll be the case either. He probably pushes himself to around that 50 mark with an increase in scoring, blocks, rebounding, and hopefully his three-point output as well. So there's a lot of things to sort of be uh, excited about, but with with a little bit of tempering on terms of his production. Now, free agency, we've touched on Bismack Biombo already. I don't think Bismack Biombo is that good. I think if you're starting Bismack Biombo as a center and playing him 30 minutes a night, you're not going to be a great team because we can talk about players being poor defensively. 
um, like Enes Kanter. And we said, let's going to limit his playing time. He can only play 24 minutes a night because he gets roasted on the, uh, on the other end. He, he can't do anything defensively. Well, I'll throw it the other way and say, that's fine, but you put Bismarck Biombo out there and he is literally zero. Even if you leave him alone for dump-offs, he, he can't catch the ball. He, he gets ignored on offense. It's basically four on five on that end of the court. So he is a liability there. So if he's playing 30 minutes a night, your offense is really going to struggle. So people who, who think, oh, they paid him this money. He's going to come in. He's going to start. He's going to play 30 minutes. I want him on my fantasy team. I just want you to just calm down a little bit because, yeah, he, even if he plays 30 minutes, what's he going to give you? Eight points? He might give you 10 rebounds and two blocks, but he won't impact your field goal percentage because he doesn't take any shots. He's a poor free throw shooter. He gets no assists. He gets no steals. He doesn't hit threes. He doesn't get points. He's a very limited fantasy player. And in terms of real life, I think if you're relying on Biombo to put up and be a starting caliber center on a, say, top four seeded team, I just don't see it working out. Can you see any room for growth in him offensively? Or do you just think that his defense is just that good? Uh, I, I mean, I think the Magic gave him a seventeen million dollar contract based on what he did in the in the Miami and Cleveland series. Which is um, I think there's no there's no doubt about that. That's and it's a common NBA trope. It's you know it's the it's the James it's the Jerome James syndrome. Uh, you know, recency bias. The playoffs blind us to to everything. I mean, I mean, we talk better about Enos Cantor now with the Oklahoma City Thunder than we do than we did when he was with the Utah Jazz. I mean, I think I think your value is definitely tied to how good your team does. Uh, and Biombo certainly, you know, he certainly played really well in that in that playoff series, and so it, it's certainly in there. But uh, I agree with you. Uh, Biombo gives you virtually nothing on offense. I think that uh, you're going to be, you know, you've got to have the right team around him if he's going to be your starter coming off the bench. I mean, obviously, salary aside, he's still probably a reserve center. Um, give him give him some minutes. Give him a spot start here here or there. Uh, when 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 a when a, your center goes down, he's going to block shots. He's going to keep the defensive intensity up. He's going to make it hard for your team to for the other team defensively. Uh, you've just got to be able to to work around his offensive limitations. How, however, they show up, whether it's um, you know involving him pick and rolls or just kind of leaving him on the opposite block for for dump downs and hope that he catches the ball or the defense you know has to recognize him and collapse in. But like like you said, he's kind of like a in real life player he he doesn't really give you much in terms of fantasy value um like you said he's not going to shoot very much his rebounding if he gets more minutes his rebounding could creep up near near 10 a game i mean yep. in 22 minutes per game last year he averaged eight rebounds per game uh but his fouling is still an issue so you don't know how many how many minutes you can actually play him uh he did a good job in the playoffs but we just don't know what the consistency is with him yet and honestly i have no clue what to expect from him other than you know, maybe at one point pushing Bucevic out of the starting lineup because the Magic are just so desperate for defense at all times. His usage rate, the highest in his career, has been 13%. So it's extraordinarily low. He was below 12 last season. And you mentioned he did have a good stretch against Miami. And he had, you know, but a lot of that and a lot of public perception is based on the fact that he, you know what? He blocked LeBron James at the rim. Oh, Biombo, he blocked him at the rim. And if you let a Magic look at it and, and sign him based on that, it's ludicrous. Because when Valanciunas, ludicrous. When Valanciunas came back, it wasn't that he played so well that, you know, we've got to keep Biombo out there. He went back and played 17 minutes a night with a guy that was hobbled on one ankle who, you know, Dwayne Casey doesn't love and plays only 26 minutes a night. Biombo, despite getting 20 rebounds in one of those games and despite being a defensive presence, with a guy hobbled on one ankle, came back and they said, sorry, Bismack, you're going to have to go back and play 17 minutes in, in a, a, you know, a do-or-die type of situation. So the Raptors didn't place that much faith in him. And people who just think... 17 million, starter, 30 minutes, let's go. He's just not that player to me. I just don't ever see it happening. And I'm, I'm not trying to just 
you know, bash everything the magic did here because you know, have it's it's fine to have hope with things. I just I just want to provide a perspective of of what this guy actually can be and what he's shown to be so far. And we talk about guys like Sergio Barker that might be older than they are. Yeah, you know, Bismack's another guy that potentially might yeah. be there. He's 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 twenty three allegedly, but. We don't know. Kyle that. Lowry wished him a, wished him a happy fortieth birthday the other day. He he sure did, and uh, he's he's probably uh, I was gonna say he's probably closer to forty than twenty three, but that's maybe a little bit harsh. But he uh, twenty three is probably uh, probably pushing it a, a little bit. But he is an impactful player defensively, no doubt. He, he puts up big numbers there. But if you look at just a, say an offensive box score plus minus and defensive box score plus minus, he was a, a massive two point three in defensive last season. But his offense was worse. So every year... Yeah, he was la- a negative player. <laughs> last three years, he's had defensive box score plus minus. If you don't know this metric, if you go over two, it's really impressive. He was 2.2, 2.8, 2.3, but he was a negative total guy in each of those seasons because his offense was negative 4.7, negative 3.2, negative 2.4. So he's never been a positive player based on any of those metrics. So that's that's a real concern uh, as well. And I think that from a fantasy point of view, you need to be aware. Now, that might be a situation that allows Vucevic to get back to playing 30 minutes a game because he just cannot do it, Biombo. But don't get excited about him thinking that he's going to go out there 30 minutes, 12 and 12 and 12 and two and a half blocks because it's just, he might get 12 rebounds and he might get six points. And that's probably what he's most likely to do. The other guys they brought in, um, I really want to avoid talking about Jeff Cream because it is one of the one of the strangest situations in the entire uh, off season. But we we have to talk about it. He signed a one year fifteen million dollar one year fifteen million dollar contract. He his position is that of where Serge Barker plays and where Aaron Gordon plays. So he's either he's going to take is either not going to play, which is fine because at this point we we understand that Jeff Green's not a good NBA player, but. The other thing is he takes minutes away from Gordon at the four or he takes minutes away from Gordon at the three. I, I, I cannot understand the rationale behind it. Surely he's just there as a 20-minute-a-night sort of player who, you know, if they need someone to fill in and, and heat up one night and, and score points and you know, occasionally, that's what he's there for. But the deal is weird. The fit is weird. The ability for him to impact the growth of guys like Gordon is uh, nonsensical to me. Can you explain it away? Uh, I mean, I think I think you you hit it on the head. He's he's there to be the backup small forward, backup power forward. Um, you know, one of those two positions. I mean, I think you'll see lineups where him and Gordon are on the court together, perhaps where, you know, they take Gordon. Maybe they take Gordon out early in the first quarter, uh, and bring him back in to play power forward in the second, alongside Ibaka or alongside Biombo or alongside Vucevic even. Uh, he's there to back up those that that three four position and and kind of I guess give Aaron Gordon someone to practice against at all times who's who's kind of similar to him maybe uh the salary itself it's a one year i mean the salary is is exorbitant for sure 15 million for Jeff Green is crazy but it's a one year deal so i'm not i i'm not going crazy over the salary who else were they going to get um to fill that role and and give them some depth and and be a backup guy if it, you know, and and then occasionally, yes, Jeff Green does have a good game. Occasionally, the Magic were a victim to a thirty-point Jeff Green game last year. When he does that, you you ride the hot hand. But at the end of the day, if Jeff Green is starting over Aaron Gordon or or over Serge Ibaka, something has gone terribly wrong, and the whole thing the whole thing didn't work anyway. And the Magic are you know up a creek up a up a creek without a paddle. Uh, so I don't really I'm not 
everyone's kind of overthought this Jeff Green thing, thinking he's gonna he's gonna challenge Gordon to start. No. That I don't think that's the case at all. I think the Magic are very invested in Aaron Gordon. They really believe in him. They're gonna give him every opportunity to succeed. Uh, and if and if Jeff Green is able to beat him out in practice for whatever reason, that just means Aaron Gordon wasn't good enough. And now that and now they know they need to move on and everything fail and everything's pretty much failed anyway. So you're you're getting ready to blow it up again and blow it up again anyway. So. Uh, I, I, I'm not overreacting to the Jeff Green signing at all. I think he'll be a decent veteran. You bring him off the bench. You, you hope you get a hot hand. Um, you, you, you're just, I think every game for Frank Vogel is going to be a, a, a balancing act of finding out who's got it tonight, who, do, who can I rely on, who can I finish with um, th- t- this, this, this game to help me win. And if I can't figure that out, I'm going to let the young guys play and, and figure some things out and let them learn, which, is, I, don't, which I don't think is something Scott Skiles would have done. I think... Skiles would play Jeff Green over Aaron Gordon. So if Skiles were still the coach, I'd be a lot more concerned about the Jeff Green hire. But I think I think Jeff Green is there sort of as insurance, as as added depth, and less as pressure on Aaron Gordon or Serge Ibaka or anyone else. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. So look, he, he's getting drafted to pick 144 on Yahoo Leagues, which is just ridiculous. I wouldn't even bother drafting it, it, him. <laughs> it is ridiculous. He, he's a, he's a outside the top 200 player. I, I, there's no way he gets more than 25 minutes a night. It just makes no sense as for him as a player and for the way that the Magic are currently structured, unless something just goes completely terrible and Gordon is out for the season or Serge hurts himself or, or whatever. There has to be a couple of things go wrong for him to actually find himself into significant minutes. Now, another player who there is a potential for him to maybe take some minutes away from a a younger player, and that's DJ Augustine. We saw him last season when he was in uh, Denver. He he played a lot of minutes. He played sometimes over Emmanuel Moutier. He played alongside Emmanuel Moutier, but he put up some pretty decent performances, and he's been good in his last few stops in Detroit. He would play start occasionally over Brandon Jennings or finish games over Brandon Jennings, and then when Jennings went down, he put up big numbers. He came to Oklahoma City and put up some pretty decent numbers in his first season there. Uh, in Chicago, he was really good as a backup also. So he's he's putting some nice numbers. Now, he's signed to a four-year deal uh, as the backup point guard on this team. Is there a risk that he takes? You know, he he could take some of um, some of Alfred's uh, minutes away. You know, I think it's kind of this the same deal where uh, uh, I think it's kind of the same deal where um, if if DJ Augustin is starting over Alfred Payton, something has gone terribly wrong, and the Magic are ready to move on from Alfred Payton. I I, I just I, I think that's the case. I think we know what DJ Augustin in is. He's good for he's good for a big game every once in a while. He's a pretty consistent like ten points per game per night guy if if he's playing really really well. Uh, solid backup point guard. I think that's how the Magic view him. If he, uh, he's good for a few spot starts, but he's just not a starting point guard in the NBA um, anymore. If he ever was. Uh, and so I think the Magic brought him in to be someone who can, again, push Alfred Payton in practice, but never really challenge him for the starting spot. Uh, if Augustin is eating into Payton's minutes, that means Payton's not playing well. Uh, and I think that's that's the formula that 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 you kind of have to go on with this Magic team is those young guys are going to play. They, the Magic want those young guys to play, uh, but they also want to win. So if they're not they're not playing, it means they're not playing well, and the Magic are ready to move on. The only guy that maybe is not in that category is Mario Hazonia, who I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later on too. But, um, you know, Gordon and Peyton are both in their third years. It's their year to set their extension level, uh, you know, before they hit their fourth year and, and restricted free agency after that. And so the Magic want to see what they have because they've got to make some decisions and, and figure out the future of their franchise right now. 
Um, I don't, there's not much else that happened with him in free agency. That's really it, apart from those guys that we mentioned earlier on. Let's talk about a breakout candidate. Who's who's a guy, it might be someone we've already talked about, who's a guy that you look at as a, as a breakout candidate on this team? Uh, I think Aaron Gordon is, has the potential to be a real big breakout candidate. Obviously, his, his, he's, he's coming from kind of a, a, a mid-tier level, but we saw... We saw his scoring jump up, you know, from his career averages after the All-Star break, especially. I think he got a lot of confidence from being in the All-Star game as a nice little little ego boost. And the Magic let him play a lot. Um, and he generally played really well. Uh, we saw what Aaron Gordon did uh, from the end of his rookie year to Summer League last, last summer. Uh, and it was... In two months, he made an incredible leap. He looked like he could take jumpers off the dribble. Uh, his 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 control looked a lot more in balance. He was he was. It looked like he would he would be kind of not. He was the best player in summer league when he played three games and was averaging twenty some odd points and just looked really really good. We were all turning looking at each other like, who is this guy? We didn't see this player uh, during the regular season. He breaks his jaw, loses all that momentum, has to kind of play catch up when he gets into camp. He's been healthy all summer. I've seen some workout video, and it looks like he's really been working on his ball handling, on being able to shoot off the dribble, on making three-pointers. And so I think there's a real potential that Gordon is uh, kind of out of nowhere, you know, best player on the team for the for the Magic. I think they certainly hope that that's the case. But either way, I think, like we said, we'll see his statistics go up across the board with more opportunity. And I think that, that Gordon is going to really be a breakout guy for the Magic this year. Okay, there's, there's, uh, before, I'm working which way we do this. I might talk these two minor trades that they made just to quickly touch on them. They traded yeah. for uh, CJ Wilcox, which I, I think that Wilcox uh, is a is a decent decent player who who's never going to get a shot in Los Angeles. So he's not bad as a as an addition as a, a guy that you know third string shooting guard potentially comes in, hits some threes. He did that a little bit last season for the Clippers, but he's never going to get that playing time. But then they traded for Jody Meeks, a guy that has just undergone his third surgery on a broken foot. There's a chance that he never really plays again. Um, what, what was that? What, 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 why are they getting Jody Meeks? I think the Magic wanted to add some shooting. Um, okay. That Plain and simple. That's that's what Jody Meeks does. He, he, shoot, he shoots the basketball. Uh, and so, you know, all the shooting is coming off the bench. You might notice it's not in yep. the starting lineup, which is which is strange. But uh, I think the idea was let's bring in some more. Let's bring in another shooter. Let's let's have some more shooting on the roster. He's a good veteran. When he's healthy, he's not a terrible defender. Uh, I think they made the C.J. Wilcox deal after they knew that that Jody Meeks was going to miss some time with the, the, the surgery. Um, essentially, they did the Clippers a favor, sending them Devin Marble before his expiration, before his a. Uh, his guarantee date, but CJ Wilcox also gives them another shooter. And so I think the idea was the magic were just kind of fortifying their shooting a little bit more. Uh, you know, if they need to do some funky lineups to, to get more shooting on the floor with the starting lineups or balance out the rotation, they may do it, but I don't know if that'll affect minutes. This is just a really, again, this is just a really, really weird team at, at the end of the day. Yeah, it, it, it definitely is that <laughs> there's, there's no, no two ways about it, but let's talk about a couple of, uh, a couple of players who are, who are a key to what they can do offensively. One of those is Mario Hazonia. He he really showed a fair bit to me down the stretch when he had to start some games when Victor Oladipo was uh, was hurt. And when the Oladipo trade was made, I was pretty excited for Hazonia. Maybe they're going to move him into a starting lineup. They'll play him at the two. They'll play Fournier at the three or, or switch them around, whatever. They play those two guys on the wings. That's obviously not the case at this point because they're playing Gordon at the three now. Um, how are we... How we look at Hazonia's season, is he ready to absorb a bigger role? I, I think that he is. I think that he is basically going to be the first guy off the bench to, to play behind um, Fournier and potentially Gordon as well. And I think we'll see some Fournier-Hazonia-type uh, lineups. He, 
he's a guy that can do quite a bit of stuff. He can handle the ball. He can shoot. He's a he's an okay defender. I think that it's he's going to take a step forward, but it's not going to be enough to propel him into a 30-minute role or into a top 100 fantasy season. But for Dynasty Leagues, I'm really excited about what he can do in the next two seasons. But what, what, are, your, what are your takes on Hazonia for this season? I'm really high on Hazonia. I think I think you're I think you're right. He's gonna be. They're gonna rely on him to be kind of the sixth man for the team. Uh, I, I think they're gonna actually kind of put him on the ball uh, more a little bit in, in pick and rolls and, and and let him kind of orchestrate things, which I think is gonna keep him engaged uh, more offensively. I, I don't think Skiles, you know, ever developed any trust in Mario Hazonia. Every time it looked like he was taking some steps forward. Hazonia would reel him back and not let him let him loose a little bit. I think Vogel's going to let him play a lot more, play play through his mistakes a little bit more, and I think that's going to add some confidence for him and kind of get him back to the, the the legend of Mario Hazonia that that we all that we all love and want to want to see on the floor. Uh, he played in the Olympics. He looked he looked better. He looked like he's he understood some more things defensively. Um, he's still got a little ways to go there, uh, but his shooting is his shooting confidence looks looks back. And I think in transition, especially, he's really, really effective on the ball. And I think we're going to see Zonia's role increase. I think they're going to rely on him a lot more. And I think they're just going to let him play a little bit more. And that's going to increase his confidence and let him, let him go, let him kind of just be himself more. And I think that was something that there was a major failure from Skiles last year. Uh, he just, he just never let Hazonia out of his box almost. Uh, and, and I think that was really not really bad for him in his development. Uh, Hazonia is not quite ready to start, but I imagine that the Magic kind of foresee either him sliding into the small forward position two, three years from now, in, in like a year or two, or at one day eventually replacing Evan Fournier in the same way that I think they expected Aaron Gordon to replace Tobias Harris, and they just deal Harris uh, when that time came. And so I think, again, I think the, the Magic have strategized this a little bit, and and they're 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 just kind of waiting for Hazonia to to take that step up, and and I think they'll give him some opportunities off the bench to do that this year. The other guy is uh, is Evan Fournier, who had a real breakout season last year under Scott Skiles. Skiles obviously loved him, and he was a player that Skiles was actually able to bring the best out of. And I've I've been a huge Fournier fan for a very very long time. I've always lamented his lack of opportunities until last season, and he took a huge step forward. Now we've we've banged on about it here, Philip, about this lack of offense in this potential starting uh, lineup or even in the, on the team in general. Fournier is going to have to carry a, a really, really large role. Um, he signed a, a really team-friendly contract. He's he's motivated. He, he was ridiculous at France and pick him on their Olympic team. I think we all understand that, but he's, he's ready for a a really big season, and I wouldn't be shocked if he's a top 50 player this season. His draft position on Yahoo is 127, which is potentially the biggest steal out of the entire draft. If you're getting him that late, you, should, you shouldn't even wait to 127. If, you, if he's there at 80 or 90, you grab him because someone's going to score. He's going to be the leading scorer on this team, I would, I would think at this point. He's going to be the best three-point shooter on this team. He's going to hit the most threes. He handles the ball. He'll get you some steals. He's a really efficient guy. So a guy who's taking a lot of shots and scoring a lot and still you know, giving you 46% from the field, it's really tough to get. He is the, the offensive part of this machine now in Orlando, isn't he? Yeah, and and he's a big part and he's a big part of it. I, I agree. I think he's probably gonna end up being the leading scorer. He's the most uh kind of consistent guy on the team. Um, you know, a lot of guys on the Magic last year were very up and down. Fournier was was pretty level. Like he had those big games at the beginning of the year that kind of served notice that he was there. But for the most part, he was able to score his averages almost every night, and you could rely on that every single night. Uh the only thing that I would maybe caution about is 
Fournier played a lot better in lineups with Oladipo than he did without Oladipo. Uh, I, I'm actually a little bit concerned about him moving back to the two in some in some respects, yep. uh, especially without another kind of uh, scoring wing out there. Um, it certainly can still work. I'm not saying that it won't work and that his numbers won't kind of stay stay where they're at, but. If you're expecting like a big jump for like Fournier to get to 20 points per game and, and keep that efficiency, I'm a little I I, I want to pump the brakes a little bit on that um, because statistically he played a lot better at small forward than he did at shooting guard offensively. Um, there were some defensive problems at small forward, but um, he played a lot better with Oladipo uh, at the shooting guard rather rather than Fournier at the shooting guard. Uh, and so uh, I, I'm a little I'm a little wary of that before we get into the season. But I also think that. Uh, that Fournier is going to be able to kind of keep his consistency level because, like you said, someone on this team's got to score, and he's the best perimeter option the Magic have got. Yeah, look, that he, he might not become a 20-point scorer. He might not become a top 50 player. But if you're drafting with pick 127, there is zero, yeah, zero doubt in, in my mind that he exceeds Yeah, 127 that. seems very, very low for, for a guy like Fournier. It's, and look, Serge Ibaka's going at 26, which is way too high for him. Um, wow. Yeah, Gordon's at, at 94, which is is a wow. nice bargain. Peyton's at 107. There's a there's a lot of wow. there's a lot of weird stuff happening with this magic. Because people, I guess, people don't understand what's going to happen with this team, and that's fair enough. We don't really know how this is all going to mesh. But to to have Fournier being drafted behind Ibaka, Vucevic, Gordon, Peyton, and Biombo is just something that is is I, I it is un, insane. And it, it won't be like that if you're in a competitive league. He's going to go much higher than that, but. Just be aware that if you see him sliding and he's in the 80s, you need to grab him because that is it's going to turn out to be a tremendous, tremendous value, I think. Um, who else? CJ Watson. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's toast, isn't he? He's 32 years old. Yes. He can't get healthy. He's the third string point guard. There's not much to really say about him at this point, is there? There there really isn't. I think I, he'll be fighting for minutes somewhere. It wouldn't surprise me if you see um, him and DJ Augustin fight for the backup point guard minutes. It wouldn't surprise me to see... Uh, especially if Jody Meeks can't go early, uh, can't go early in the season. Uh, C.J. Watson and C.J. Wilcox fight for the backup shooting guard spot. Um, you know, certainly Hazonia will be in that mix too because he can play either the two or the three. Um, it's yeah, Watson just had a disappointing season. Even when he was healthy, he he wasn't shooting the ball particularly well. Uh, and you know, the Magic, you know, are, will probably give him a fair look, and and he'll have his chance to compete. Uh, but it's not a good outlook for CJ Watson for CJ Watson this year. What's your bold prediction for this season, Philip? My bold prediction is I, I do believe the Magic are going to have a top ten defense in the league by defensive rating. Um, I, I, that's that's where they're putting all their eggs in their basket. I, I was thinking about this when I was getting ready to come on the podcast. This is just not a good fantasy basketball team. The things that they want to excel at are not the things that are going to be captured necessarily. In fantasy basketball, and one of those things is is team defensive rating. Um, the Magic are banking on the fact that last year, eleven of the or ten of the top eleven teams by defensive rating made the playoffs. Um, and essentially, that trend continues on, you know, throughout throughout NBA history, or at least for the last decade. That if you're a top ten defense, you make the playoffs. And and the Magic, you know, I'm not saying the Magic are going to make the playoffs. I think that they may be the exception to the, to this rule, but. Um, I think the Magic are really banking on moving up from 17th in defensive rating to getting into the top 10, and if they can get into the top 10, that gives them a real shot at making the playoffs. So they may be a team that doesn't have a fantasy stud, but is just hanging around in that playoff in that playoff conversation a lot longer, and everyone's sitting here like they are today, wondering how the heck is this team doing this? 
that's uh, that's all fair. And I think the defense will be really good, but they've got to be able to at least give you an offense that's not the worst in the league in order to actually get somewhere. Yeah. It is a real chance they could be the worst offense in the league. They probably won't be, but that's not it's not an outlandish. They'll be they'll, thing. be they'll be bottom ten, I think, on on an offensive rating, and yep. the, it, it's been done to be a top ten defense and make the playoffs with a bottom ten offense. It's certainly been done, but that's it, a razor thin margin for error and. Uh, I'm just I'm very uncomfortable with with how with how close they are to the you know precipice of a disaster here. Yeah, that, that, that's things could go uh, horribly wrong for this team, but hey, it it might work out. We don't know. It's an odd mix of players. It's an odd mix of of positions and roles. There's a new coach, and they they honestly they cleaned up in the coaching market. It was a great hire for them. They couldn't have done any better really uh, than getting Frank Vogel. So that that's huge for them, and we'll see how it all works out. But it's it's going to be they're going to be a team to watch definitely, especially early on, Philip, just to see exactly how this all works out, exactly how these new pieces fit, to see how you know, Aaron Gordon's one of the more exciting players in the NBA, to see how he you know looks in this new role as as Paul George maybe he takes a big step forward let's see how it all works out it's going to be exciting it's going to be interesting for you uh, covering the team uh, for Orlando Magic Daily and of course on Locked on Magic um, do you want to give a plug to anything that you've got happening at the moment uh, you know we're doing we've got some uh, stuff going on uh, we're, we're, we're taking one last big deep breath before we, we go, go into season outlook and preview uh, some st- some stuff uh, we've obviously got uh, Shaq entering the Hall of Fame on, on Friday I wrote a column about why Magic fans should embrace and and celebrate Shaq making the Hall of Fame because he's technically the the first Magic player to make the Hall of Fame. Uh, sorry, Patrick Ewing, uh, we're not going to count you as a Magic player for for this exercise, but uh, this is really our first Hall of Famer, and he's still kind of a persona non grata in some circles with Magic fans. And uh, I just completed a series looking at the top twenty five players in Magic history. Did a long podcast with 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 a pal pal of mine who's also a magic historian talking about uh, the best players in magic history so one last deep breath before we get into the uh into the season definitely check out check all that stuff out on orlando magic daily as i mentioned and of course the locked on magic podcast leave a review for that podcast and for this one five stars um really helps the shows out so i do appreciate that and i believe that the uh this uh, locked on fantasy podcast has made its way into the top 200 on itunes today so i'm pretty happy about that so thank you to everyone who congratulations has- yeah, I can't see it because it's in the on the US store, so I can't see that. But uh, but uh, David Locke sent me an email today saying that we, he saw it in the top two hundred. So I'm pretty happy about that. So thank you to everyone who has uh, who has listened to the show and helped push it into that uh, push it into that stratosphere. It's uh, it's tremendous to 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 see that. Not that I've actually seen it myself, but I, I have heard word that it's there. So that's uh, that's pretty exciting stuff. Philip, thank you for coming on again and uh, and chatting with uh, one of the more confusing teams in the NBA. Yeah, uh, happy to try and bring some clarity because frankly I'm just as confused as everyone else and I have to I've, I've had to think about this every day all day for three months so yeah. I'm, I'm ready for the season to start yeah absolutely you, you want some clarity you want to see how it's all working out because it's um it's all speculation at this point and uh, it can start to drive you crazy as I'm sure you're well aware yeah yeah I'm 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 so I'm looking forward to a preseason game just because that'll that'll that will be some information absolutely all right Philip thank you again that, thank you for having me thank you so much for listening everyone so yeah. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. 
And thank you to Josh Lloyd for having me on the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast once again. I really appreciate it. Had a good time chatting with him about the magic. Hopefully you guys uh, enjoyed the listen too. Got, got a little bit of a fantasy perspective on the Orlando Magic. And I would highly encourage you, if you enjoyed the past hour or so of the Locked On Magic Podcast, I would highly encourage you download and subscribe to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast uh, with Josh Lloyd. You can find that on Audio Boom and iTunes as well. It's been a long episode, I know. Thank you all for listening. It's been a fun week. We'll have another great guest on the Locked On Magic Podcast again tomorrow as we continue Locked On Podcast Network crossover week. Uh, thank you all again for listening. If you have any questions, any inquiries to the show, please send them to me uh, to, via email at omagicdaily at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at omagicdaily. And we'll see you tomorrow on the Locked On Magic Podcast. You are Locked On Magic. Your daily podcast on the Orlando Magic, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99. And our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.